Subjects of the glorious Terran Empire. This is episode 147, featuring the top five ridiculous choices. Welcome, Terran followers. I am Jim Mirror Morehouse, and I'm the host of Terran Trek Ranks. And it's time for another Terran takeover of the Trek Ranks podcast as we jump into our glorious conversation where we tear it all down. We take Star Trek into our sights, and we take no prisoners with our pedantic nitpicking, our terrible opinions, and best of all, tonight, we get absolutely ridiculous as we break down the top five ridiculous choices in Star Trek history, and joining us for tonight's bitch session on Terran Trek ranks, it's three of our most agonizing and snarky guests. We've got Carlos, the Reliant Miranda, Alex, Tiberius Perry, and Jen, Regina Andor Tift. Welcome, Terran comrades. Hello, hello. Hey. Hello. Alex, Jen, Carlos. Glad to have you guys here. I hate Star Trek. (laughs) That's why we're here, right? Exactly. (laughs) All right. As always, we kick this off with our Terran Trek ranks recalibration. Injectors are operational. You can recalibrate the regulators now. Will do. As regular listeners will know, general order number one here at Terran Trek Ranks is that we love to really overthink Star Trek for no reason at all. We usually do that via some deep dive topics just to get the complaining started. And that's why this podcast exists, just to bitch and moan about this crap. To our future plans, a future where we together will make the Empire glorious again. And as Captain Gabriel Lorca just said, we are here to bring glory to the Empire. Our show is all about the things we love to bitch about in terms of Star Trek. We complain about it all from TOS to TNG, straight through Enterprise, the terrible Kelvin timeline, and now Discovery, Picard, Short Trek, Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, and Prodigy. It's all crap here in our crosshairs on Terran Trek Ranks. Black alert. Black alert. And this episode of Trek Ranks is current through 862 episodes of Star Trek, which is Trusted Sources, the ninth episode of Lower Deck, season three. So remember, if you get spoiled, that's your own damn fault here on Terran Trek Ranks. How many times am I going to say Terran Trek Ranks? I'm picking up a transmission heavily distorted. And despite that heavy distortion, if you would like to join the Terran Trek Ranks movement, the best way to do that is to find us on Twitter at Trek Ranks or at Enterprise Extra. You can also call and leave us a message with your own picks at 609-512-LLAP. That's 609-512-5527. You can also find us on the Mirror World Wide Web at TrekRanks.com. Glory to the Empire. Okay, Carlos, Jed, and Alex, let everyone know how our Terran loyalists can get a hold of you, Carlos. Well, I am uh, very active on Twitter with uh, my handles at double map. So come and uh, uh, bitch along uh, side with me uh, on the old Twitter. And Jen? Para Pharma. If you'd like to uh, um, bitch, bitch with me on Twitter, you can find me at Edequarks. And Alex T. Perry. 
and I like nothing more than talking about how much I hate Star Trek, and you can find that at Alexander C. Perry. And in the Terran Empire, we don't waste our time with diagnostic cycles or prime directives. We're just going to jump straight into our Terran rules for today's great topic. So, Shapeshifter, tell us about the rules for today's episode of Terran Trek Ranks. A Terran who doesn't know the rules. Well, we'll see to it that he learns them. Okay, so no prime directives or anything for this episode. We are just going to throw down... One important rule for this episode 147 of Trek Ranks, and that is no repeat picks from when we did episode 47 of Terran Trek Ranks, which was our top five things we can't get over, which is basically just a variation of ridiculous choices <laughs> at some level. So we're not going to repeat anything from that episode. Should be all fresh and new if our uh, Terran troublemakers here are on the straight and narrow. Okay. There's and, plenty to pick from. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Just a quick reminder of how we're going to go through the Terran rules. First, each of us will reveal our original Terran Trek ranks. Five words and a hashtag summary to tease our pick. Then we're going to start bitching about whatever it is in Trek that we think are the most ridiculous choices in Star Trek. And at the end, we'll ask for a few secondary system selections for any extra complaining anyone wants to get in on today's show. And if we happen to have any mirror duplicates on tonight's show, make sure you listen for the Terran Defiant Torpedo. Okay, Carlos, we're starting with you. What's your round five pick for your ridiculous Star Trek choice? Before we start, can I just say that I'm so glad we're not taking shots every single time you'd say Terran because <laughs> we'd, dead by now. We'd, we'd literally be dead by now. Speak for yourself, Carlos. I'm seven <laughs> shots deep right now. <laughs> 17. Fair enough. I was going to say, that means you can't count, Alex. That's another story. Um, all right. My number five pick. Okay. So my five words are set a course for home. And my hashtag is tattoos of memories. So my pick is the very, very last minute. I love that your your first pick in episode 47 was the last minute of Caretaker. (laughs) Correct, correct, correct. Well, thank you for uh, Um, so, so I was thinking a lot about what I was going to bitch about during this podcast. And I have just finished, um, about what, last month I finished an entire full Voyager rewatch. Now, obviously, I've seen every episode of Voyager countless times, but I had never really gone back and, like, watched the entire series from beginning to end, and I just did that. And I have to tell you that I... I know we're supposed to bitch about Star Trek in this episode, but I enjoyed it so much. I've got a tough year. (laughs) Whatever. I I know, I know. I've got a tough year on a lot of fronts, and I've just found it was just so nice every night, uh, or almost every night, to just sit back and watch an episode of Voyager. So good. Yeah, it's the best. So I was thinking about this particular podcast, and I thought it'd be nice to kind of mirror uh, what I did for my first pick in episode 47. And so in episode 47, I talked about my the last minute of caretaker, right? And how bringing the crews, the Maquis and the Starfleet crew together um, just seemed like a wasted opportunity. I always felt that that should have happened over the course of at least one, if not more like two or three seasons of the show. So I thought that for today, I talk about how much the very last minute of Endgame really bothers me. Now, I love Endgame. I really do. Is it the best of the three 21st century shows? Is it the best of the finales? It's not. 
It's not as good as All Good Things. It's not as good as What You Leave Behind. But I think it's the most rewatchable. I think it's the most fun. It's the one that you can put on and it, it, it just doesn't have the same gravitas. And I don't necessarily mean that as a, as a bad thing. I, I really love Endgame as an episode. But I hate the last one minute. It just bugs me. They fly, they, they blow up the board sphere. They're in the Alpha Quadrant. They're in our solar system. And then that's it. And I just don't understand with all the lead up and all the time in the world they had going into the show, how they ended the entire series like that. And so it's always, always, always bothered me that Genway doesn't get a one minute speech, even if it's just over the calm, you know, that she doesn't get together with the crew. I just, it just, it seems like they cut it and there should have been at least one more scene. I'm not advocating or saying that it should have been on Earth or them on Starfleet headquarters or like upgrade, yeah, nothing at all, but just something on the ship to kind of really tie up the show. So there you go. That's my number five pick. That's I a just, great pick. It's a great pick because everybody feels that way. And especially over time, it's it, it hits you harder because back then that's kind of how TV worked at some level. So, and, and, and you know, from a production standpoint, they were like, well, we showed all that at the beginning of the episode. So we flipped it on you. So you got the kind of feel good of getting home. So now we're going to end it this way. But over time, it doesn't, it definitely stands out like a sore thumb. You just want that extra five minutes. Yeah. I, I mean, when you start watching a television show, when you start watching TNG or Deep Space Nine, you have no idea how it's going to end. But when you start watching Voyager, they're lost in the Delta Quadrant. Right. The goal is to get home. You kind of know that that's what you're, that's your reward for watching the show over these seven seasons is to see that happen and to have it just be a little quick. Here's some fireworks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I totally get wanting more than that. <laughs> yeah. For and, sure. and you know what makes it hurt even worse is the fact that Voyager characters have now been showing up in Star Trek again. Which reminds you, you missed everything that happened from the very moment they arrived home to wherever <laughs> you find them, right? Whether that's Admiral Janeway and Prodigy, whether that's Seven of Nine and Star Trek Picard, whether that's Chakotay and Prodigy, you now know that there's a lot of stories that happened to these characters from the moment that they came home. And you never even got to see a single glimpse of that up until the moment that you meet them again. And when you meet them again, they are necessarily, by virtue of the passage of a long amount of time, different people that have different experiences under their belt. And so, yeah, it does make the the, the absence of that even more poignant. Yeah, but you're right. It is. It's a great episode. It really is. Up until that, <laughs> that lacking, just that feeling of wanting more. Okay, uh, Jen, Regina, Andor, what is your <laughs> what is your number five pick? All right, I'm actually going to switch my picks around because I'm going to kind of piggyback a little bit off of Carlos's theme okay. <laughs> for, for my number five pick. Okay, my five my five words in the hashtag: the good kind of boomer hashtag wasted potential, and this is the almost criminal underuse of the character of Travis Mayweather in uh, Star Trek Enterprise. Exactly. <laughs> this uh, this irks me to no end. It when, when, broken when you watch Broken Bow, I mean how cool of a character is this? This is this dude was born in space, you know, he's got the most space experience of anyone on the crew. I mean, you see him hanging upside down. He found the one spot in the, you know, the sweet spot on the ship where you can hang upside down. He's so cool. He's got a great backstory. He's 
don't mean to be shallow here, but he's freaking gorgeous. You know, he's like, he's a God, you know, basically like he's, he's in this, you know, Anthony Montgomery is just amazingly gorgeous. So this character is literally everything cool going for him (laughs) and name one cool thing he did the whole run of enterprise. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, I remember being so excited in Broken Bow. I was like, oh, this this guy's so cool. Like, I want to know more about that. And, you know, even the episode where it was, you know, they're back on his um his, you know, family's freight freighter. And and even that was just like a boring thing. Like, how did they manage to make this character so boring? So boring. Yeah, it's such uh, a waste of a cool idea. So wait, what episode did you pick to to, to emphasize oh. him not being there? You could have picked anything. I, I mean, yeah, I, you know what? I'm picking. I didn't have one in mind, but I do now. I'm picking dead stop because yes, that's just him just laying him. there. You know, <laughs> oh my god, that's machine, and that's, that's basically perfect. all he did the entire run of Enterprise. You you just made the perfect Taron Trek ranks pick. <laughs> dead stop. Okay, you are. You are correct. Obviously, they just it didn't come together for the production. For yeah. some reason, they chose not to. Um, Carlos, Alex, they take on the underuse of Anthony Montgomery and Travis Mayweather. Who? Yeah, exactly. I mean, listen, I, I, I love Enterprise, and the more time goes by, the more I enjoy Enterprise. But I really do think that so much of Enterprise was unfortunately so shortchanged, right? Him and and Hoshi, who I actually have come to really like as a character. I love the fact that she, you know, is uh, so is still kind of terrified of being in space at the beginning. They could have fleshed out so many characters in Enterprise, and they didn't. And it just, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a shame because he could have been a really interesting counterpoint to someone like Archer, someone like Hoshi. To your point, Jen, he was the only character in that entire crew that really had space lungs and he was the supposedly the youngest and the pilot so they could have played with it in such an interesting way and 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 you know and um uh and he's likable the you know the the actor's great i just it's just a wasted opportunity all around yeah and it's it's not justifiable in the same way that i personally believe the way that certain characters on star trek discovery are de-emphasized in favor of others right because there weren't that many characters on Star Trek Enterprise, right? Discovery, I feel like when people are saying, oh, we want more from the bridge crew, we want more from Detmer and Olo, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, there's already like six or seven characters who are getting quite a lot of screen time and attention. And therefore you're automatically going to rob from those characters if you want to build others up too. And you kind of diminish everybody by doing that. But Enterprise, as much as I love it, right? Like, and you guys are pouring on way too much love for Star Trek in this Terran Trek Ranks <laughs> episode so far. I just want to, like, say that out loud. But, like, as, as as much as I love it, like, like there were three characters they focused on in that show with a couple of additional half characters that they kind of, you know, had a bit more of a role for. Like, that's not a lot of characters to spend all of your time on. And so they definitely could have redistributed that load a little more across the whole cast and not have significantly diminished Archer, Trip, or T'Pol in the process. Yeah, it feels like a studio note, right? Like, as they got into the first and second season and and the show was under a lot of pressure for ratings and everything for survival, that the studio was kind of pushing focus more on these three because that's kind of what the show eventually became, even though it was structured to be more of an ensemble like all the other Trek series. Of course, Discovery was 
actually built that way. It was not not built as an ensemble. Right. It's going to be basically three or four main characters and everybody else. Anyway, that is a great pick. I love it. Alex, how about you? What are you going to bitch about right now? Yeah, Alex, uh, Carlos and I um, had something that we wanted more of. I hope yours is a little bit more. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, no, on Star Trek. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is. This is entirely on brand for Terran Trek ranks. Perfect. All right. Five words. Canon connections done very badly. Hashtag don't explain it if it's dumb. And my pick is Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 4, an obol for Charon. And specifically the conversation between Pike and Number 1 about the removal of the holographic <laughs> communicators. Great thing. And- which is one of the absolute dumbest attempts to reconcile canon that I have ever seen in a Star Trek show. It's so lame as to not be worth doing in the first place, right? So let's set it up. Star Trek Discovery Season 1 begins, and the production crew, Brian Fuller, whoever it is, made the decision. They wanted to include more advanced technology into that show than you would have seen on TOS, and that was more advanced than you saw on the 24th century shows, right? They just made the decision and they did it. And that included holographic communicators. And then the fans go nuts over it. And they're like, we don't like this. We don't want this. And so, you know, you have a change of regime and the new showrunners like, yeah, maybe let's retire this. People don't seem to like it very much. You know, let's just get rid of it. And all they should have done is just got rid of it. Never used it again. Instead, they concoct this ridiculous conversation between Pike and Number One about how, which ties into the fact that the Enterprise shows up (laughs) in the last episode of Discovery Season 1, and it's like, we're having all of these technical problems. And it's like, why is the Enterprise having technical problems? And it's never really explained other than to say that the holographic communicator is the problem, and the solution is just to rip the whole thing out. And then for the rest of the show, at least until you get to Season 3, when they're way in the future and can build it back again, you never get another holographic communicator. I'm all in favor of, like, neat little canony explanations that explain inconsistencies in Star Trek, but not if it is the stupidest, laziest explanation in the world. And this was the stupidest, laziest explanation in the world that wasted one like section of a key scene with a key character, number one, who we did not see a lot of in season two of Discovery. And we didn't know we were going to get Strange New Worlds. And it's like, you brought number one on just to give this ridiculous explanation for why All the holographic right. communicators have gone away. Simmer down. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Hey, this isn't dumb and stupid. This is ridiculous choices. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come and it's on. a ridiculous, ridiculous choice to include that dialogue, Jim. Captain. Welcome aboard Discovery, number Failures cascaded through all our primaries. Helm, nav, both impulse and warp drive. Chief Louvier has an engineering team working round the clock. I don't think Enterprise will ever have a chief engineer more in love with this ship. Apparently, Enterprise is the only ship in the fleet that's had any problems. You know, he warned me that damn holographic comm system. Tell Louvier to rip out the entire system. From now on, we'll communicate using good old-fashioned view screens. Truth is, I never liked the holograms. They look too much like ghosts. <laughs> he told you I'd say that. No, I told him. You're not wrong. The ridiculous part for me more than anything was just that it was in response to this 
corner of fandom that was being ridiculously loud yes. about it. And you just can't yeah. do that. You cannot yep. do that. Ignore us. Ignore yes. them. Ignore this group that there's no one fans. It's I hate that. Ignore them completely. <laughs> but yes, it, this is a great pick because this is Darren Trek ranks. I, I mean, th- this conversation does stick out like a sore thumb. Sore thumb. You know, yep. so I, I totally get it. Yeah, it, it just takes you out of the <laughs> the show. Like we get it. <laughs> it's just not a great scene as well. I feel like the way she delivers the line. I don't know. Like I'm I, cutting this out. I'm editing this out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go to my number five pick. I'm not editing it. Here we go. My this is my most pedantic pick. So this Love is it. similar oh, to Oh wow. Okay, here we go. And and maybe my only pedantic pick. So five words and a hashtag. Obtuse angles make no sense. Hashtag tennis elbow, more like tennis dislocated forearm. It is the tennis racket design in TNG Suspicions. I'm a sports person. I work in sports. I'm all for future sports in Star Trek. I love them. Parisi squares, spring ball, hover ball, velocity. I love it all. I played a lot of tennis in my life. It's one of my favorite sports to play. When I draw the line on this ridiculous upgrade, it's they change. They it's the the tennis racket. It's this the final minute of suspicions when Beverly goes to present a tennis racket to Guinan, and I'm not talking about the metal alloy of the racket design that has holes in it, which makes it more of a paddle than a racket. But whatever that part, I don't care about. I get it. That's sci-fi. It's future. What I'm talking about is this 45 degree angle of the handle to the head of the racket <laughs> that makes it just ergonomically impossible to play with. You can't swing a racket like this and hit a ball. It's aerodynamically impossible because of the imbalance. The equilibrium is all out of whack. You're going to break your forearm. You're not going to have any control. Literally, it does not matter if you have the strength of a live Kolar beast. You can't hit this <laughs> ball straight and command any direction over it. It is the dumbest thing most ridiculous choice driven me crazy for 30 years literally from the first second i saw there you go tennis racket design jen what's your take yeah i i literally just pulled up a picture of it because i had to see it you can't swing it you can't hit a ball with it i don't know what game they're playing with this but it's not tennis (laughs) yeah and don't forget the tennis ball right? Like the tennis ball shows up in another episode and it's this thing that has basically got these suction cups attached to it all the way around. Like yeah, it's that not was even in, round. So that was in oh, a uh, velocity and the tennis racket was straight again. So, I mean, not oh. I just said velocity, I meant Voyager. It, yeah, not- it was in, in Voyager, there was a scene where Janeway was going to go play tennis with. Jimmy. Yes. That's and right. The, and that ball was like a little spongy suction cup ball, whatever. I'm not, I get it. Those are different the bent handle <laughs> at least the handle was fixed in voyager <laughs> so yeah the bent handle yeah that's, that's a case of like let's just change things and make it futuristic Not, it, it would be impossible know? it'd be yeah. impossible to hit a ball straight maybe they should have brought in number one to talk about why they changed the racket <laughs> i love it okay round four let's move on carlos i'm not ready What's your number four pick? This is definitely not pedantic. This is this is the opposite. Um, five words. They regenerate and keep coming. Hashtag that I was bad to the bone. And it is what, in my opinion, became of Q. 
in later Voyager and definitely in Picard season two. So I love Q first and foremost. I love the character of Q, but my favorite Q was kind of sinister Q. I like kind of lethal Q, the Q of Q who tapestry death wish. That's the Q I love, right? Yes, there's humor. Yes, he's a pain in the ass, but there's like an undercurrent just underneath the surface. You know that this guy, that this being is not all nice. Like there is something sinister here and not, and, and, and he isn't just your friend, right? Um, I'm always thinking about him introducing them to the board. And yes, you can have the argument as like, did he do it for the benefit of Starfleet? Did he want to warm the card or not? But that's not what we're talking about. I love that cue. Uh, I hate what they did with Q later on in Voyager. Um, Death Wish is one of my all like top 10 favorite episodes of Voyager. It's a top 10 episode of Q. Um, but then you bring him back and you do the Q and the gray and you do Q2. And those two episodes to me are really like bottom of the barrel Voyager, like top, I mean, bottom 10, if not definitely bottom 20, if not bottom 10. And I just feel like they really, they went, they, they, they evolved this character to be this kind of sinister, you know, anti-hero kind of in, 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 in the gray. Is he good? Is he bad? Um, but then they just kind of ripped it all away with his last couple of showings on Voyager. And then the card season two, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit later. Who knows? But I really feel that they just really betrayed the character. Uh, I love the idea of you dying, but it went nowhere for me. We're, we're canceling the rest of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I the Voyager part I get. Well, if we if the Picard stuff comes up, we will have we will have words. The I thought we'll they, they they tried to return to that. But listen, you prefer sinister Q, and there's two kinds of Qs. There's uh, humor relief, you know, comic relief, and there's sinister Q. And I think most people prefer sinister Q. So. Oh, what episode did you pick, Carlos? Q2? All right, because I want to drop in some uh, junior soundbites. Uh, oh, <laughs> Jen and Alex. I, I mean, I think he's kind of sinister in Q2. He's a horrible, scary father in Q2. I mean, oh, he, he, changed, he, he makes his kid into an amoeba, like... Like there's some sinister parts to that. Um, I, 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 I get I turn my kid into an amoeba. Come on, come on, Jen. <laughs> Just a and twenty then, minute timeout. That's all you need. Exactly. <laughs> I love that, Jen. That's so true. So true. But um, I get what you're saying. I happen to like both cues. I, I, I agree. I like I like a sinister cue. But but I don't know. I kind of enjoy the comic relief cue too. So. Uh, defender, I I defender don't. of all things, cue Alex. Yes, Alex. I don't know. I mean, I guess I, first of all, I'm I agree with Jim on the Picard thing. I don't know how you watch Picard season two and don't see a sinister cue. Like he slaps Picard within the first ten minutes of being around, and just like. <laughs> the whole all the way through the season until the very end he's just like needling them and 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 not telling them why they're there I, jen made a defense of q being sinister in q2 i'll make a defense of q being sinister in the q and the gray which is that he takes janeway into the middle of a q civil war for his own purposes and not because he really cares about her or anything to do with her but just because he had something that he wanted and that was the way that he was going to do it and like that's really sinister you know that's not comic relief at all when you break it down um but yes i can certainly see the argument that those two episodes of voyager are not the best q episodes in the world <laughs> certainly not my favorite and 
that they did they probably did tip the scales a little bit too far in one direction than the other uh but i disagree with the overall premise of the point Darren <laughs> <laughs> drag race this is the best all right that was awesome uh jen what's your number four pick all right all right my five words has the word hashtag in it so it's a little confusing but <laughs> hashtag hashtag yes yeah, so my my five words hashtag not my will Riker. hashtag ethical pussy hound and this is the character assassination of one mr william t Riker in tng season three episode 14 a matter of perspective okay oh yes please my, my man Riker would never do what he's accused of you know at all like like he's never we've never you know we talk about how how people see Jim Kirk as the caricature of of what they think he is, and he's not really that. Same thing with Riker. Right? I mean, Riker, Riker's obviously more of a of a slut <laughs> than Jim Kirk, but it, it, always in a respectful, ethical way. Like he would never ever try to take advantage of somebody. And this episode just it just kills me. So first of all, Krieger waves are bullshit. <laughs> Apgar's a hack <laughs> and he's a bumbling you're idiot. a dead man Riker. A dead man. <laughs> he's a bumbling idiot he couldn't even kill Riker without blowing himself up like we know this but but what I really really hate about this episode is the way that well first of all I, I okay the 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 seen seen everyone's testimony in the holodeck I get that as being like a pretty cool device but but then also, if you think about it, you know, you could see, you could put images into the mind of, of, you know, the people watching that, that didn't really happen. You know, like there's the investigator has his program is hypothetical crag one and, and it's Riker, you know, basically trying to murder Apgar and, and it, you know, it just, it, so there's just so much in that framing to begin with. That's just, that's just wrong. But I hate that we have to sit there and watch Riker do these things that he didn't do uh, to this poor woman. And it's really uncomfortable, you know, to have to do that, to have to sit through that. But, and like, that's fine. Like if if that, that's just a normal, normal court episode that happens all the time. Like, Oh, you're accused of this, but you didn't do it. So we're going to prove you didn't do it. But in this episode, it's a little different. Because she, ha- Riker, Riker gives his testimony of how it happened, which was, you know, Apgar's wife, you know, coming on to him and, and Apgar seeing it and, and, you know, getting all pissed off. And then we see her side of the story where Riker, I mean, Riker tr- attempts to rape her and we have to watch that and we know he would never do anything like that. But when it's framed like that, like Deanna Troy's there, she says that she doesn't sense any deception from her. And her line is, Liz, it is the truth as each of you remember it. Yeah. The yeah, truth as the... each of that's what what turns this into something that like I, I can't even right. watch this episode without getting furious, you know. F you. Um, it's it's that telling the truth part as you each it's the truth as each of you remember it. Because that means either one of two things are true, right? That means either Riker did something to this poor woman to make her think that he was trying to rape her, you know, and he didn't even realize it because that wasn't part of what he remembered. Or even worse, just made up in his mind that she was the one coming on to him. Or, okay, or number two, this woman's mind totally imagined an attempted rape out of thin air, which either one of those options is not something that belongs in my Star Trek episode. <laughs> and I can't stand it. And it drives me crazy. 
Okay, I liked where you where yeah where you went because I wasn't sure because I get through this episode just by knowing Riker's version is all that matters. Everything else is just character slander. Which in a normal court episode, yes. But where I thought you might go because it's annoying is where two people, uh, Deanna has a chance to defend him in a way that Mm -hmm. that but she doesn't because she says that and it's terrible and jordy good old jordy again it's just like acting like i don't know he's kind of scheming I mean, every, right. he's always given kind of a look like i don't know what went down where's commander Riker? he's still down on the station sir dr apgar wanted to have a word with him any problems not with the scientific part of the mission no sir Riker to enterprise i'm ready to leave now I'm sure Commander Riker will be able to explain everything, Captain. Stand by. Jordy, like, come I on, got the man. hell out of there as soon as I could. <laughs> have, have his back. That was what always right. bugged me, that Jordy right. and Deanna didn't have his back. So, yeah. wow, that's that's a tough one because uh, all that stuff. But I'm glad that I thought for a second you were going to say you didn't like Riker's version either. I thought maybe I was misremembering it. So. I mean, Riker's version has to be the correct one. Of course. And he doesn't do it Because wrong. he would he's never do to, anything like that. Yeah, he's trying and, to avoid it. He's just yeah, to and it. it's the one that makes sense, especially knowing what the truth yep. is, that, yep. that this Apgar asshole, you know, right. tried to murder but, him. But the episode, but the episode A doesn't say that. Mm-hmm. And B, in fact, pushes you in the other direction of saying, well, he didn't murder Apgar, but the truth about the rest of it lives somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yes, and that's, right. unacceptable. that's Exactly. Yeah. Picard yeah. even says that. Picard says, we haven't seen exactly what happened yet. We've seen three versions right. yeah. uh, and n- none of them are 100% are 100% what happened. Why not have your first officer's back and assume that his version yeah. is exactly yeah. what happened, Picard? Because he's the only one who doesn't have an explicit agenda that is ultimately right. explained in the episode. You're a dead man, Apgar. A dead man. You're a you're a dead man, Miranda. A dead man. I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Well, when Star Trek goes like all law and order, except yeah. in this episode, for all the reasons, Same. Jen, that Same. you said it, like. I love a courtroom Star Trek. I feel like inject that shit into my veins. I love it. Same. But this this is one, I think this is probably, you know, unless someone thinks otherwise or can correct me, I think this might be the worst kind of courtroom drama episode of Trek. I I will say that I dig Krieger Raves and the mystery of them showing up on the Enterprise and they have to figure it all out and it all comes together with the holiday. That's that's cool sci-fi shit. I like that. Well, and and that's one of the things that Star Trek does really well with courtroom dramas. It's it's always in the background is the the science-y stuff. You know, they're working through the science-y stuff to try to clear the good name of their crew, you know, their crewmate. And and I always, I always dig that yeah you know so it's just it's just a shame they had to introduce all this other stuff into it and ridiculous is what it is it's ridiculous, ridiculous. okay ridiculous. alex <laughs> what's your number four pick all right i gotta limber up for this one <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> five word summary Kubark, don't let me go yes. no 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 <laughs> Oh my God. I am so glad you picked this because it was my last cut. I was so close to picking it. Anyway, go. What a garbage setup (laughs) for what should have been a guaranteed slam dunk of an episode of Star Trek, right? What had fans been begging for? 
uh, we really loved Captain Sulu in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, and we would like to see more of him. And so they set up two 30th anniversary episodes of Star Trek. The first, the divine trials and tribulations, right? The perfect homage to the original series. And then the Voyager writer's room absolutely cracks out this unbelievably bad setup for what should have been an excellent episode of Star Trek, right? You pull back Captain Sulu, you bring back George Takei, and you tell the story of the undiscovered country that happens around um, the undiscovered country, right? The bits you didn't see on the Excelsior. And the great thing is Tuvok, you know, he was in Starfleet. There's this whole great, you know, kind of story about him having been in Starfleet and then having left. And you, you key in through this stupid, stupid, child on the precipice the child on the precipice the child on the precipice how many times does Janeway say precipice take me back to the child on the precipice I couldn't imagine a place I want to be less than on the precipice like I want to be on the Excelsior I don't want conversations about the child on the precipice that's not interesting in any way shape or form it's such a dumb setup for the episode that it basically ruins everything else that happens because you're just waiting for, oh God, when is the next time <laughs> you're going to hear, help me too much, don't let me fall, go! <laughs> help me too The virus protein structures are breaking down. It's dying. Increase thoron radiation to 80 kilodynes, 15 seconds, now. Help me, Dimitri, please, don't let go! Don't let me fall! Again! You could easily cut 10 minutes of rubbish about, like, it's Star Trek. There are a thousand different ways that you could have come up with a way of threading the Excelsior and Tuvok's history on the Excelsior into an episode of Star Trek Voyager and not had it been this way. It is turgid, turgid rubbish. They had a good way. The virus masquerading as an engram. It was the memory that was bad. It's the little girl on the precipice. And Janeway says precipice like 16 times in this episode. Oh my God. Um, she says it more than you said Karen so far. I, this exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. that, that many times. I would say, because so, I rewatched this before this episode, they get the flashback stuff is, they get it all so right with Kang showing up. And there's just so many great elements. All of that stuff is really an A. plus. They killed it. But the whole episode just gets brought down by the girl or the child on the precipice. They just needed a different hook to get into that that uh, mind meld and the and having Janeway show up on the bridge. Oh, it really was such such a mistake. It's hard to believe that that made it all the way through the girl on the precipice. Yeah, no, I totally agree because because it's worse than just being boring. It's actively it's annoying. annoying. Yeah, it's, yes. it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You know, what we need is a, you need a smash cut of this episode that just cuts all that <laughs> shit out. Yeah. And it yes. would be it would be awesome. Carlos. Yes. You could have just given given us Star Trek Excelsior, right? You could have had a 1159 this shape. Tuvok yeah. got yes. out there and being like, let me tell you guys the story about the True. time I was on the Excelsior. True. Yeah. You could have just done that. Yep. But, but minutes. you don't get that Sulu interact with Janeway if you do that. But I get what you're saying. You could have done something. 
I can't believe this is only my second pick. God, it feels like we've <laughs> gone through a lot of ridiculousness. I've been here a year. Okay, this, ridiculous. This okay, this one is actually pedantic too. But the, after the this is my last one that's pedantic. Uh-huh. Five <laughs> words and a hashtag. She thinks he's an Andorian. Hashtag ridiculous framing. <laughs> it is explorers deep space nine and it is this ridiculous mix-up between elizabeth lens and julian bashir so right now you're saying what who's elizabeth lens which you should be saying because you don't remember her because this whole b story in explorers is completely forgettable we're not talking about miles and julian singing jerusalem all that that stuff's great and we're not talking about julian's mistaking of pre-ganglionic fiber for a post-ganglionic nerve that's a nice thread that that lasts throughout the series and and even the self-sabotage that he does to not win valedictorian is pretty good because it matches up with the genetic engineering so all that part is fine what we're talking about is that the valedictorian has no idea what the salutatorian looks like and they're from the same starfleet medical academy class he doesn't even she doesn't even know what species he is because apparently at some point someone pointed out Julian Bashir to her at a party and they thought that he was pointing at an Andorian and somehow they went <laughs> right and somehow and they he went through, was Andorian they went through the entire semester never crossing paths three or four years together in school never interacting never having a class together never seeing them in preparation for their back-to-back speeches at the class where she <laughs> says oh i was backstage i didn't look at you or something what this makes no sense it is ridiculous i mean there couldn't have been more than 50 people in this starfleet academy class and that seems high there was probably 12 that's my pedantic second uh, round four pick there's no way Elizabeth Lenz would think Julian Bashir is an Andorian. It's ridiculous. Carlos. God, I got to be honest with you. I know my Deep Space Nine. The moment you said that name, I was like, who? Exactly. Like, exactly. You got, who is Elizabeth Lenz? And she's in this episode, like, a lot. Like, like I, I, I love elements of this episode, especially the B storyline. But, like, I have, like... I have no memory of this place. <laughs> like, like literally, like that's what came to me until that you had to go into a lot of explanation before like it all came back to me. So that speaks volumes, my friend. It really does. Jen, any take? Okay. So this never bothered me. And let me tell you why. I always thought that she was just actively dissing him with this. Like, oh, Julian Bashir, I don't know her. Great, great spin. I think she's an Andorian. That was always my spin on that. That is a great, great uh, <laughs> canon adjustment to this ridiculousness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what more can we say? <laughs> yes, I was there with Eric, and he is an Andorian. Oh, my God. So dumb. Okay. Well, so- you know what? Up until Lower Decks, I, I was like, and how can you possibly hear the name Julian Bashir? <laughs> Julian Bashir. And assume he was an Andorian, but right. now we have Jennifer. Jennifer. Andorian, so. Yeah, Jennifer. That's, true. that's true. Maybe that's why they have we have an Andorian named Jennifer. Okay, here we go. It is the ganglia round. Here. Have my ganglia. You deserve a treat. <laughs> here we go, Carlos. What do you got? Gotta love him. Got it. So my five words are to hell with our orders. And my hashtag is the one that got away. My number three pick is 
letting this time really took the ridiculous, like something that was, I just think was ridiculous. And I applied it to like the behind the scenes of Trek. And I just think that how in the world, on what galaxy do you let Ron Moore go from the Voyager writer's room? Again, I just rewatched Voyager and I was just like, you know, he comes in, he finishes high on Deep Space Nine as, an, like, as a co-executive producer, one of the main writers. He, you know, deep love of Star Trek has been personally responsible for writing or co-writing some of the best Star Trek ever. Uh, and to this day, still some of the best Star Trek ever. He joins a new writer's room for Voyager season five, come help shake things up. And he lasts a handful of episodes and they basically drive him out. Uh, and to me, like, there's no more ridiculous kind of example of something related to Trek than letting Ron Moore go. Um, obviously, we get Battlestar Galactica because of it. And so, you know, you know, silver lining. But to me, that is just a, uh, a, a like, that's just to me the most ridiculous thing, among the most ridiculous things of behind the scenes. All right, so are you picking Bards of the Dead or are you picking something else? Uh, let's go Bards of the Dead. Let's okay. go Bards of the Dead. All right, that sounds good. So I will say I agree that this is ridiculous, but your question of how do you do it, I totally see how it happened. Because Brandon's there, they're partners. Brandon's now becoming the boss. Uh, it's, there was no way this was going to work and coexist because Ronald E. Moore was too big at that point. And he was similar to he's similar to Brian Fuller. He's one of these guys that kind of goes in, and it's either it, I don't want to say my way or the highway. That's too direct or too stark. But it's got to be a particular way, or it's it's not going to be for him. And that was the beginning, I think, of that for Ronald Moore. I, Ronald D. Moore. I, I was when he was coming on board. I literally remember thinking, being a, a fan of the behind the scenes stuff, that this is not going to last. I just didn't think it was, and he was going to move on. But that, so, but, you know, listen, he's one of the best writers in Star Trek history, so he could have done nothing but help. Ron Moore's time on Voyager is what happens after you and your high school girlfriend go to different (laughs) colleges. (laughs) (laughs) So true. That's pretty much it. It like, it keeps going for a little while, and then you're like, oh, wait, the magic's gone because there are other opportunities and I think there are better opportunities for me. And so I'm done with this and I'll see you later. Right, like he, he probably should have known well enough that at the end of Deep Space Nine, he'd run the ride and it was at the end and it was best for him and, and you know, to move on. And I think he realized that really quickly after he got to Voyager. And we've got a couple of good episodes out of it, which, you know, is not so bad of a thing. But um, yeah, from Star Trek's perspective, they shouldn't have let him go. From Star Trek's perspective, they should have worked out whatever they needed to work out with Sony so that he could have come back and run it before they approached Brian Fuller for the revival in 2017. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think from his perspective, it was it was time for him to go on to bigger and better things. I love this pick, though, Carlos, because it's awesome to it's awesome to think about it and talk about it because that really that never come up on the show. But okay. Uh, ganglia round, Jen. What's your pick? Okay, my ganglia round pick. <laughs> I love it. Uh, five words: sound and fury signifying nothing. Hashtag shut your face. 
And this is TNG season two, episode two, where silence has lease. And this is just that I fucking hate that guy. I hate everything about oh, him. Man. He looks Nag- stupid. Nagilam. <laughs> Nagilam's a fucking stupid name. Like he does nothing. The episode whole episode's pointless. Picard just like in response to him just plays dead basically. And it's nothing, literally nothing happens. Picard he he fucks with them. Picard plays dead. And he's like, okay, I'll let you go. I'm just, I'm just messing with oh you. Oh my God. No, so like, good. Nothing. And, and to add to this, <laughs> not only does like literally nothing happen for 40 minutes, then at the end, Nagilam gets on Picard's, you know, monitor, computer monitor, and gives this speech about how humans thrive on conflict. They're too aggressive or hostile or whatever. Like, literally nothing in the episode <laughs> like what episode did he watch that he came right. to that conclusion like, <laughs> right. nothing happened except Picard just saying well we're just gonna kill ourselves because we don't I don't know what to do against you oh my God. let's just kill ourselves and Picard's just like okay bye and the episode ends like it's I, I can't stand it it's just the most pointless episode with the most ridiculous ridiculous villain I love that you said his name is ridiculous you you know the backstory of Nagilam his name no I so not. they originally were gonna cast an actor who's known as a comedic actor named Richard Mulligan who was in Empty Nest. Oh, yes. He was going to be cast in this role and <laughs> he couldn't do it or they maybe couldn't get him and Nagilam is Mulligan spelled backwards. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it, is, it is truly, truly amazing. Wow. Nagilam is... Nagilam. He's, he is creepy though. I will he's say creepy he's creepy looking. He's this creepy was a, looking. This was a popular pick on our Twilight Zone episodes because this feels like a Twilight Zone episode. There's so much going on, and then nothing really happens. Yeah, when they're when they're like rats in a maze, and the they're in the, on the other ship, and you right. know, they keep they cl- yeah. you know they go out a door and they come back in always to the bridge or whatever. Like that, like but literally that's it. That's all that happens. Uh, Carlos, <laughs> Alex, any take on the ridiculousness of this episode or? The how ridiculous Jen thinks this episode is. level nonsense. I mean, let's be honest. I, uh, yeah. um, I do try to think about Richard Mulligan playing that part and just think that would have been so weird. That would have been so weird because he's so weird, weird enough because he's just this weird face. Like he's just a face. But know. if it was a face I knew, like Richard Mulligan, that would make it even weirder. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I think. I don't of like that. the face at all. I think it looks. I think it looks goofy. It's. Oh, I think it's, it's not creepy. It's. Goofy. it's oh, uh, I think it's creepy. I think. It's I think creepy. it's creepy. I think it's effective. I think it's effective. Yeah. I think the face is effective. It adds because it, it's mood. it's a little bit uncanny valley, you know. Because he's like, oh, I'm a, I'm this yeah. superior being that doesn't even know what the concept of death means, but I just have this weird little goofy face like that's i don't know i think that like the combination of those two things is a little creepy yeah alex what is your round three pick all right uh five words fight dynamics make no sense hashtag and it doesn't look cool (laughs) uh this is the fight between commander william t Riker and Praetor Shinzon's Viceroy in Star Trek Nemesis. <laughs> ridiculous! <laughs> Which ridiculous. is absolutely ridiculous. The, I best, mean, the best choice. This I is... go back to episode 47 for the Stuart Baird takedown yes. that Jim so expertly delivered, but I just <laughs> wanted to like focus in on this one because, boy, oh, is this God, so stupid. Bad. So first of all, they report that 
the Remans have boarded the Enterprise on deck 29, which previously the Enterprise had, excuse me while I push up my glasses, had only 24 decks, and now it's got 29 <laughs> decks. But definitively, that is the bottom deck on the ship, right? So they go down, they fight, they fight, they they fall down some Jeffrey's tubes, and then you get this fight that happens in this giant cavernous empty space that's just got a bridge that runs across it which doesn't seem to serve any purpose in the ship let alone like where do you go down from here you're already technically according to dialogue at the bottom of the ship there is no further to go in and they kick each other around a little bit and then he kicks him off the ledge and you know that you get the sort of movie style no you know disappears down into the bottomless pit on a Federation starship from the bottom deck. It's just so dumb. And it just highlights the whole way in which Nemesis was a set of shots that somebody thought was cool, crafted together, which when you link them all together, don't make for a good movie, don't make any sense, and therefore make the movie actively dumber as a result. Yeah, it was this scene and the, the, the dune buggy chase scene, both just completely wasted the extra backstory they could have given to Shinzon and and fleshed all that out. So yeah, Stuart Baird, he's terrible. I did have a takedown of him <laughs> in episode 47. <laughs> I love this pick. It is ridiculous. Uh Carlos Jen, any take? I love the Doom Buggy team, but maybe I'm in my I'm in the minority here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do not start. Go back and listen to episode 47. The 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 discovery of the of the B4's Android, like the hand grabbing. Oh God, it's so bad. The hand <laughs> grabbing. Listen, 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 I get it. I get it. I hear you. Right. I hear you. All right. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, the Dune buggy doesn't bother me as much as the the fight, the ridiculous fight. That's a, that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah, I should say I shouldn't say the Dune buggy because that's fine. It can have an action yeah. sequence, but like like in uh, Paradoxus. Crisis exactly. point two, exactly. but the discovery of B four is just the worst. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> okay, my round three pick. Here we go. Hope you're ready for this one, Alex. So this is actually my number one pick, but I just can't wait anymore. I want to get it out there <laughs> into the world so that maybe we can keep talking about it during other people's picks because it's that good. Five words and a hashtag. The week will perish. Hashtag. Think good thoughts, and maybe we can rewrite this hot mess. And it is Voyager Season 5, Episode 4, In the Flesh, and the destruction (laughs) of Species 8472. So here is the deal with this. I like this episode. I, I, It's actually pretty cool. It's interesting. We get to see Starfleet Academy in a way that we haven't really seen it before and it's it's you know it's it i think it would have been fine if it had been like an alien of the week or some other kind of mm-hmm. weird infiltration plan on starfleet it could have been the butt bugs from conspiracy another lower decks <laughs> reference it could have been anything but instead they make this ridiculous choice of taking species 8472 and destroying this let me talk about the species 8472 they are awesome You launch season four by introducing Mm -hmm. one of the coolest, weirdest, most bizarre non-humanoid species they've ever had on Star Trek. It's a huge risk. They go CGI creatures in 1996 or seven, whenever this was. And, you you know, 25-year-old visual effects, they're actually not bad. They really aren't. They look pretty good and just the right amount of 
their quick appearances when you see them. So you've got this cool looking three-legged creature. They come from fluidic space. You can't talk to them. They have telepathy ability. They kick ass over the board. They are an enemy, but they aren't bad. They aren't inherently bad. They're pissed because the Borg invaded their space and tried to assimilate them. They have everything you want in a foil for Voyager. Amazing creature. And then they come back and pray and they get mixed up with the Herogens and they're eat- that makes them even better. It's so cool. That whole interaction, fantastic species. They've set them up for years of awesome, interesting stories. There's so much you can do with them. So what happens after that? They bring them back and in the flesh and they don't just have them acting human where they can talk and communicate. They actually make them humans. And their big plan is to infiltrate fucking Starfleet Academy and impersonate humans. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. It makes no sense. And to showcase this, they have one of them is Boothby. Like he's the boss of them. This is ridiculous. What the heck? What the hell do Species A four seven two need to impersonate humans for? You have bio ships. You live in fluidic space. You can do whatever you want. I know there's the nano threat that Voyager created, but they just destroyed all this. And here is why I'm 100% correct about this. Because if I was wrong, then this would have worked and we would have seen more of 8472. And we would have, they would have kept telling stories. They set up the whole episode is set up to tell more stories. Boothby's going to go back. He's not sure if they're going to accept their terms, but nope. We never see them again, except for one time. I kid you not, in a photo of two species 8472 about to fuck when the doctor does a presentation of species mating rituals with someone to watch over me. A complete waste, a complete waste of species 8472. And by the way, the visual effect of the human turning into the CGI creature in, in the flesh is amazing. It's absolutely, it's so well done. There's this huge species 8472 hanging off the off the bio bed. So good, but they ruined, they ruined 8472. Alex, I'm going to let you go first, man. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess I see the argument and like, but for me, I, I think it makes them creepier because no. it's not, you, you can't see. Boothby's creepier? Right? Like, then the yes. alien and prey? Oh no, he's not. oh my god. No. Yeah, the idea that the, conceptually, the idea that <laughs> that like you know the thing about species eight four seven two is they're horrible to look at and they're very large, right? You can see them coming from a mile away, and you know to get the hell out of there, right? Because they are gonna fuck you up. But in in the flesh, it's positing what happens if this incredibly dangerous, extremely intelligent alien species actually is standing right next to you and you don't even know it. You'd never have a chance against someone like that, right? Because they they they're all around you. I mean, you know, and I think I think that that is an idea that probably would have been uh explored better today in our like ultra paranoid culture that we have than it was in, you know, kind of pre-911 when it happened in Voyager. But the last thing I'll say, Jim, is that it's Ponfar Night at the Vulcan nightclub, and that's good enough for me. No, that was cool when they were changelings in the Dominion War. I mean, we've by the way, we've seen human infiltrations uh, posing as humans. We've seen that a lot in Star Trek. We did not need to see. Oh come on! Turned into that. No, there's so much of that. I mean, I mean, you could point to anything in Star Trek and say that. 
Yeah, but in this one, don't make 8472 go down this road. It's the same. It's a changeling anyway. Uh, I mean, just the fact that they can become humans, it's just, it's just silly. It's ridiculous. Jen? <laughs> yeah, no, I- I'm with Jim on this one because they, species 8472, they were like mysterious badasses from fluidic space. Like, it's just the, the, the mystery was part of what made them so scary. And so... Yeah you know, so interesting as, as an antagonist. Um, and they, they pretty much neutered them with this because th- they're so freaked out by humans that they, they went through this elaborate scheme of like <laughs> becoming humans, becoming humans and cosplaying as humans in the, in this, uh, you know, simulated human environment for what purpose, you know, now that being said, I also agree that I, personally enjoy this episode and if it wasn't species 8472 it would be completely fine agreed like if it's just a random alien doing this then that's cool i really enjoy and enjoyed getting to see them go to starfleet academy and and all this stuff and and it was great and it's fun and and the 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 chakotay you know starting to make it with an alien you know (laughs) is she on to him is she not on to him and and it's 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 fun. It's a fun episode of Boothby being a bad guy's fun, you know. But but why would you take Species A four seven two and make them be the bad guy for this? It just doesn't. It doesn't. It just completely neuters them as a bad guy to me. Regent Carlos, what what side are you on? It, it pains me to say this, but I agree with Jim like eight thousand. <laughs> <laughs> like like I. There are two good things about this episode. One, that there's Pond Far Night at the Vulcan Nightclub. Obviously, <laughs> thank you very much, Alex. <laughs> and Chakotay whips out a Type 1 old school phaser. Let's come on. I think that's like, that's the highlight of the episode. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah. Would this episode have been better? I've never thought about this. With, would, would this episode would have been better with another species, like Rando Species of the Week with a oh, forehead? For sure. For yeah. sure. I I love eight four seven two. I for all the reasons Jim said, and just it is as Jen said, neutered. It is neutered them, despite the fact that we saw some getting it on later on. But it <laughs> totally did. It's <laughs> so annoying to me that that's the. It's just it's the perfect uh, cherry on top for destroying an awesome species. Okay, I will shut up. Terran Trek race continues with <laughs> round two. Carlos, what do you got? All right, uh, round two. So my five words are, my name is Cristobal Rios, and my hashtag is, <laughs> ¿Dónde está mi gente? Uh, uh, and I'm going to say something that I find ridiculous, really ridiculous and painful, and that is unceremoniously killing Rios, Rios off screen via a few lines of dialogue. Okay, I that hurts, ladies and gentlemen, because first and foremost, I love that character, right? He was just, I love that character. I loved him in season one of Picard. I loved him in season two of Picard. You know, like there is very poor, like Hispanic Latin representation in Star Trek to begin with. But then when you have some and it's amazing, right? And then just killing him off screen because, you know, you don't have the budget to bring him back for season three or whatever it is that they've been saying. It's just painful and it's ridiculous because he was a great character and he deserved, you know, do, do I buy the story that maybe he stayed behind and, you know, married this woman and did all these things? Sure, I guess. 
But to just to kill him off like that and that like like throwaway line of uh, line of dialogue, I thought was ridiculous. I I appreciate that. I won't speak to your personal connection to it, obviously, because that's uh, I get it. I get it. All of a sudden, he's gone. So I mean, obviously, there's a certain heroic aspect to it. You don't have to buy it. That's what happened. He stayed behind. They got married, and they helped people for a long time with their medical uh provisions or whatever they were doing so the mariposa so i really like that i think it's great but i get it i get it for you that's a ridiculous choice that for him to just be gone and then they kind of toast him off screen having having uh just to clarify it's okay to kill him that's fine no issue just they like to me what bugged me was the line like it was just like a throwaway line oh he died in a bar fight okay oh that's right because he didn't because he died before her yeah, that's yeah. Right. Yeah, oh, in a bar I, fight. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That was kind of a weird little addendum instead of, I wonder what they were going for with that. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of feelings about this too. I love Cristobal Rio so, so much. Good. He's an amazing character. And, you know, I, if, if I just have to, you know, accept the fact that he wasn't going to be in season three, then I kind of think he got one of the better send-offs because we at least know his the whole, whole story, story yeah. of his life, um, which I kind of appreciate. We know he he met the love of his life and they did good things. And him dying in a bar fight, I'd much rather have him died at, you know, 150 years old it, it, while he was sleeping in bed. You know, it, it, I would much rather that. But him dying in a bar fight, that's kind of how he was going to go. <laughs> You know, <laughs> um, the way, you know, but fighting like for the cause, it sounds like they did a lot of good in his life. And, and I just like that we know his whole story because when characters normally leave, we don't know what happened to them. And, and right. I like that we got his full story and, you know, and we, you know, the little time travel is, is the only reason we got to, to even have that line of knowing what happened to him. I don't know. Yeah. But I totally, I totally get it. Him getting his happy ending. I mean, seriously, <laughs> goodness sake. I, I think I agree with, with Carlos on this one. Like, obviously he was going to end up being with Teresa, but it didn't sit right with me that they stayed in the 21st century, knowing everything that was about to happen over the particular period in which they were in, 800 million dead, uh, the Third World War, nuclear holocaust, everything that came after that, rather than like, taking a little ride to the 25th century where everything is great and like her and her kid could have had this amazing life in the abundance of the future like and i know that kind of repeats a beat from star trek for the voyage home but like i don't know they were repeating beats from other star trek all season why was this the moment that you decided yeah, but, to? but teresa, teresa would want to stay behind and, and yeah. help as much as she could that was her the whole point of her character yeah i think they earned all that with, I don't, and, yeah. and with rios too he they showed throughout you know multiple episodes that this he was into this this is what he wanted to do just kind of live this kind of more freer life even knowing that was coming and obviously to help uh teresa with right. uh, with trying to help people so but uh, I get it, Carlos. You're not wrong. Yeah, totally. It, 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 especially that throwaway. It does feel like a throwaway line when you when you really frame it just for that. that. And that's ultimately why I find yeah. it ridiculous. It's not. It's it's a, a lovable character. Yeah, I get it. Okay, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to assume you picked farewell, the finale of Picard season two. Is your farewell, episode. farewell. That's All right, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay, Jen. What's your number two pick? I am once again going to mimic Carlos's pick. Okay. <laughs> um, 
um, five words. Meanwhile, back on the cube, hashtag buzzkill. And this is Picard, also. <laughs> Season one, episode seven, Nepenthe. Oh, and this yeah, is yeah. the baffling decision to yeah. bring back and then kill off you. <laughs> in the middle, no less, oh. in the middle of a joyous reunion episode of other legacy characters. So that it's just it's just it 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 mars this episode for me. You know, it, it's almost like we had to make a deal with the devil or, or wish on a monkey's paw to get Riker and Troy back. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. it's like sure you can have them back, but you have to give a little TNG joy to get a little. You know, <laughs> like it's a curse. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just what was even the point of of bringing him back? You know, yeah. it, it was like okay, oh, we brought back you. Look, look at him. He's thriving. He's you know rescuing other victims of the Borg, you know, here's him and Picard sharing a hug. And then up, oh, he's dead for in a really like pur- purposeless death too, like just for no reason. It's just it's just baffling to me why you would why you would bring a character back just to have him die for no reason, you know? Yeah. Um and and then to add add on to that in the middle of this episode where we're like we're riding high with the, all these scenes on Nepenthe with, with Riker and Troy and Picard and and then meanwhile back on the Borg cube uh, he's just biting it so it's very incongruous um, makes the whole episode uneven and it's just pointless and dumb and ridiculous I, so, so, I mean listen I get it I understand people's visceral reactions to this and not liking it I was moved I like the you know, I think he said something like I was that much of a hopeful fool again or something. So I I don't know. I I and obviously they killed him off because they needed to set up getting seven there. Not the best. It wasn't executed really cleanly and clearly and emotionally. But, um, but yeah, I was moved by it. I, I didn't mind it. But I know I am in the minority on that, especially with Alex uh, on this episode of Terran Trek Ranks. <laughs> Dumb, <laughs> dumb, dumb. I don't like it. It leans too hard into, you know, the sort of like. Uh, I, I, honestly, Jen, you're, this pick for you is very similar to your Star Trek Generations pick from Episode mm-hmm. Forty Seven, right? In the sense yeah. that, like, you were just killing a character for the shock value, and you think maybe it's going to try and serve a character arc, but actually, it doesn't, and it just kind of ends up bumming you out, and there's nothing yeah. good that really comes out of it. And this is exactly what that is, right? It's just sort of leaning a little too hard into the dystopian nihilism theme that kind of peeks through a little too hard in Star Trek Picard season one in a way that it's just like, oh, come on guys, let's like, let's not do this. Right. We, 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 we don't need Star Trek to be this. We don't need it to be the show where characters just die all the time. And you guys know my feelings about a certain very important character death from the most recent live action season of Star Trek and how I thought that was fucking pointless as well. <laughs> and this one is fucking pointless too. Uh, it's not top five pointless. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Pointless and ridiculous. Carlos, what's your take on this ridiculous choice? I don't know. I did not. This didn't bug me in the same way. Jen, I I hear you 100%. And I think it is from your perspective and the way you laid out your argument, 100%. That looks, you know, ridiculous that it's served, that it needs to happen. I hear Alex, you know, if you look at like each death, for example, in yep. uh, same in, thing, what is it? Same thing, right? <laughs> but, but no, but but hold on. But I think that it's the each of death and the way it was presented served, yes, you know, 
clear or wrongly served the character of Seven and setting her up and her story in the new world of Picard, right? So to me, I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I love yeah I love the character of Egypt and I was I was very distraught but that death doesn't bother me because I totally get the point of of how that serves seven like you just said like Correct. I get that yeah and, and and that bothers me less and we didn't they didn't like bring it each back like he was just it was just like a flashback of this is what happened why seven you know seven has this vendetta you know. Correct. And then also you have the history of Egypt and Seven throughout Voyager. So it, so it right. packed that emotional punch. There's no character relationship that we know of or that we've experienced or even allude, that been alluded to between Seven and Hugh. So like it just yeah. didn't, it just, it just didn't hit. Like I felt that it was, did it need to happen? No, but then it did it and it just kind of failed to, to like deliver that 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 emotional like gut punch that they were going for. I mean, again, it needed to happen so that, so that Seven would show up and run the board cube. Because so why why couldn't he it. why couldn't he have just called Seven? He had the because the he could have just done it himself. Mm. But but regardless, it, it, it the execution was was wasn't super clean. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Okay. Ridiculous. Oh boy. <laughs> Let's go to Alex's second pick. See, oh, people are going to hate me for this one. <laughs> oh, oh I can't wait. Five words. The idea was so good. Hashtag, they repeated it twice. Twice. And my top five ridiculous oh, choice no, I know. is the way that modern Star Trek has copied the same beat in two finales in the same year twice. Right. So four, you're talking about four, four times. Episodes. It's happened four times out of 10 season finales. We've had 10 season finales, four of them copy the same beats, right? So you have consecutive seasons in Star Trek Picard season one, Star Trek Lower Deck season one. What happens in the season finale? Riker comes and saves the day. In Star Trek Lower Deck season three, Star Trek Strange New World season one, what happens at the last beat of both of those two finales? Somebody gets arrested from the crew unexpectedly that's not related to the story from the rest of the episode. Like, what is going on? So the episode I picked, by the way, because it's the fourth egregious example of this, is Star Trek Strange New World season one, episode 10, A Quality of Mercy. Yeah. Like, what's so annoying about this is I love all four of those season finales. And they make me feel the right things in each of those four episodes. But why did we why did we have to do it twice, twice? Right? They talk so right. much about how the showrunners are communicating with each other and and making sure that this doesn't happen. And I get that for Picard season one and Lower Deck season one when it happened. And like those conversations clearly grew from that. But then they went and did it a second time with the so-and-so gets arrested at the end of the episode beat. And it's like You've only had 10 season finales and you've kind of ended four of them the same way. Like it just doesn't sit right with me. It's like, come on, it's a season finale. There are lots of ideas. Let's dig a little deeper and let's talk enough about how our seasons are ending that we're not repeating exactly the same beats so many times with such a limited sample size. So to be clear, everybody, it's Et in Arcadia Ego Part 2 and No Small Parts from Lower Decks. Both had Riker saving the day. And then Less basically a year later, they they did it again with lower decks first first contact and the arrest of Freeman, and then a quality of mercy with Strange New Worlds and the arrest of 
Una. Amazing. It, it really, it really is a sta- kind of interesting that that happened somehow, some way. I'm not sure it's ridiculous, but hey, it's Terra Trek ranks. <laughs> uh, Jen, Carlos, what's your take? More Riker, good. <laughs> doesn't bother me at all let's have Riker save the day Same. in every finale Same. like I am here for it it does not bother me in the in the slightest it's the Titan um, yeah <laughs> and, and the same thing that's the same thing with the with the rest I mean that's just the way that's the way that I, I mean that's just a, that's a Star Trek thing like that's fine yeah. like but but I do get what you're saying because they have specifically made it a point to say that all the showrunners are talking and making sure they don't overlap with what characters they bring on and blah blah blah. And are they really? Because yeah, to be right. fair, what they're talking about is make just make sure you don't contradict. Yes. And so yeah, if yeah. hey, if this is your story beat, it's your story beat. Right. I mean, someone might have spoken up and said, "Is this the best idea?" But but the key is that they're trying to make sure it's and they were fired. Carlos, Carlos, any take on this ridiculous choice? You know, it doesn't bother me. I'm kind of a gen on this. I I I get it, Alex. And I do think that I don't think that they're necessarily, you know, this idea that like um that they're all sitting there together and like really discussing what they all have planned and what they're going to do, particularly across mediums of like animation and uh, and live action and kind of the lead time to produce those kinds of shows. So I get it. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously the moment the Titan shows up and saves the day, uh, you, you're like, well, didn't that just happen in Picard? Uh, or vice versa. I don't even remember which one aired first. Now that I think about it, uh, I think it, I think it was Picard, right? Yeah, Picard. Picard aired first. And then yeah. lower decks. Yeah. I just, I'm here for it. I love Riker. Riker is one of my all-time favorite characters <laughs> in Star Trek, and so him showing up either as old man Riker making pizza or like yes. you know, kind of young Riker on younger Riker on the Titan. I'm here for it. But I do think that the the same kind of beat and the way Alex described it of like. The main characters getting arrested in a way that had nothing to do really with the rest of the episode or there was any sort of hint or, or lead up in the episode was a little bit like that's a little on the nose. Alex, it's ridiculous. You're right. <laughs> and the beat is exactly the same because they weren't yeah. it wasn't a storyline in that finale, but it yeah. was a yeah. thread throughout the season. It just right about the ex- exact same amount of like there was one big Freeman Packlet episode, there's one big Episode where Una's a uh, Illyrian. Very interesting. Okay, here we go. Close out round two. My five words and a hashtag. Klingon redundancies aren't a factor. Hashtag for a nine-year-old Klingon warrior. And it is Sons and Daughters from Deep Space Nine and Alexander Roshenko's aging in Star Trek. (laughs) Here we go. I really did not want to include this one, but in the end, I had to do it. (laughs) The starting point is that I love Alexander. I I love his character. I love all four actors that played him. Shout out John Stewart, Brian Bonsall of Family Ties, Mark (laughs) Warden, Deep Space Nine, and James Sloyan, who made his appearance in uh, TNG. I think they they all really did interesting things with with the character. I mean, and there's great episodes. A fistful of data's cost of living. His relationship with Loxana is really interesting. Firstborn with James Sloyan as the future Alexander. Even his return to D Space Nine, I love. However, I mean, come on. 
even in the world of rapidly aging children on television and and in the world of sci-fi where everything's possible, Alexander is aging is ridiculous. So here's the here's the breakdown. He was born in 2365. And nine years later, he joined the Klingon Defense Force and became a Klingon warrior in 2374 on board the IKS Rataran. So, and I'm the king of explaining shit away with little techno babble or off-screen exposition. I can do that all day. But he was nine years old when he came back on Deep Space Nine. You don't and know I'm, how Klingons age. I'm just gonna leave it there. He's nine years old. And that's the end of it. So, Jen, uh, what's your take yeah. on Alexander's aging in Star Trek? You don't, you don't know how Klingons age. It's but... ridiculous. <laughs> no. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally agree that it's ridiculous. But I, I also, I mean, that's just something that television does. That I, of course. It, of course. Yeah. And, and and so I guess I guess I'm just desensitized to it. <laughs> I, th- I think everybody is, which is why nobody cares about and, this stupid, ridiculous choice. Yeah. And I think also it really makes for better DS9 storyline with him versus if he had still been a kid like it, it actually see, we've been there done that you know let's see you know how the relationships evolved you know i respect what they tried to do with sons and daughters I, yeah, i'm not yeah. sure it 100 worked but it was nice to kind of at least revisit warf as a father and right. acknowledge that he was a f up carlos <laughs> carlos what's your take the worst father the worst yeah. one of my favorite characters in all of me Star too Trek. me too one of the best arcs and yet he is literally the worst father. You know, I remember being like a teenager, like a kid thinking about this. And in my head, like the headcanon was that Klingons as kids just kind of developed twice as fast as humans. So the nine-year-old would be kind of 18 to 20-year-olds in my head, which made sense that he would leave home kind of like at 18, leave Earth to his grandparents and okay. then join the Klingon. So that to me, like that was the way I explained it in my head. So it's like, oh, they just grow up twice as twice as fast. Because when you first meet Xander, to when the second time you meet him, he's like, like he goes from like two to six or like two to seven or whatever, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah, I, like I always explain it that way. But That's I good. Agree, Jen, if you take the human approach, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Kess was two years old. Uh, Alex, <laughs> what's your what's your take? My take is that it's ridiculous that he was nine years old, and I will hold further comment on this topic at this time okay, oh interesting all right before we go around what i'm gonna add so the actor mark warden i did some research i was, I was like does this guy been anything so he has been a prolific video game actor for 20 years he's like in oh scores and scores of video games over the last 20 years and this is crazy he played a klingon prisoner in affliction in enterprise who knew I had no, no idea. Oh, I, didn't, Al- I didn't know that. Alexander played a the actor who played Alexander played a Klingon in Affliction. That's crazy. I never. Knew I didn't that. know That's that. Crazy. I know. I know. Begin round one. All right, round one. Let's do it, Carlos. Get <laughs> ridiculous. Get ridiculous. I, I will say that originally, when I tried to come up with my list, I wanted it all to be behind the scenes, uh, and I only settled on two that I thought were really ridiculous. But this is the one that I feel like most ridiculous because obviously we talked about Ron Moore. Um, so my five words are. We live in uncertain times, and my hashtag is I've taken my vows. It's the fact that we have all of these new Trek shows, and you know, I think they're all of like different quality. I'm much, I'm much, I enjoy one versus the other. I think the quality is really 
all over the shop. Not necessarily to go down on one versus another right now. That's not this the episode of the well, what the topic of this episode. Ridiculous. But, Keep going. <laughs> but to me, Ira Bird is just like right there. Like he's right there, right? I don't know what the hell he's doing, but he's just kind of chilling, living his best life on Twitter. And I'm like, it's ridiculous that they haven't been like, you should be a showrunner on a Star Trek show. Do whatever you want. Because that to me is ridiculous. That man has <laughs> been was personally responsible for, I think, the crown jewel of this franchise. And, you know, he was approached on Enterprise to give some feedback, which Berman didn't apparently never took. You know, he to me, he's the goat of Star Trek. And he, it's ridiculous that he has not been approached to do something else, given how many also behind the scenes people have been brought back here and there. And so to me, it's ridiculous that Ira Burr has not been approached. I love this pick. I, I don't necessarily agree with it because I, I think be careful what you wish for. I think he would come back and say, and he, I think he would be like in this mode of like, Oh, the fans want this. So I'm giving them this something the completely <laughs> opposite. I think he's that kind of showrunner. So be careful what you wish for. But having said that, what he showed us from season eight of in, uh, in what you, yes. what, what we left behind is in the documentary is staggeringly good. Like I, that's Canon to me, even with uh, yeah. now that we've been back to deep space nine with lower decks. I just love that season eight setup. Um, and he, by the way, he did it in that episode. Like, oh, everybody loves Nog, so I'm gonna kill him off. That's, <laughs> okay. that's Iris Stephen Bear. He is going to take it away. I, I, cool pick, a very cool pick because he is a legend. And man, it would be cool to see him do some trek. Yeah, again, I'm. Not, I don't know how any of the behind the scenes stuff works, <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd love to see. I'd love to see more. I agree. He's the goat. I He's agree. Goat. He is the goat. Yeah, Mike McMahon said in an interview after Hero Trust Nothing aired, you know, and somebody asked him, I might have been Trek movie or somebody did a needling question about like, oh, why does nobody do any Deep Space Nine stuff in modern Star Trek, which is kind of an unfair question. But his answer was interesting in that he sort of reflected on this idea that he didn't he didn't think it was that the that none of the current showrunners didn't like Deep Space Nine. It was maybe just that they were a little afraid of it because it was it it was an oeuvre that kind of was specifically associated with a particular set of personalities and and people and creatives behind the scenes in a way that you can't say the same thing about TNG or Voyager or I mean you could say the same thing about Enterprise. But um no, because even Enterprise it changed halfway through, right? So like you know, Iris Stephen Bear's presence throughout Deep Space Nine is A, essential, and B, runs throughout the whole show. And so, hey, if the modern showrunners are too afraid to touch Deep Space Nine stuff again because they don't want to kind of f*** with the creative vision that Iris Stephen Bear had, and you want more Deep Space Nine stuff, well, there's an easy equation there to get you to more Deep Space Nine stuff. But, but to, to clarify, I, I hear what you're saying. It's, I'm not saying you bring back and you do like a sequel to Deep Space Nine, right? Right, you're I saying let him create. Let him do free let him Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nick Meyer came in, and you know, we've been talking about Nick Meyer before. And he wasn't like, he wasn't a big, he wasn't a fan. He did like, in many ways, he kind of did his own thing with Star Trek 2. And now it's, you know, it's Star Trek yeah, 2. one hit wonder. Oh, oh, no, <laughs> we're not going there. That was a going there. pre-recording conversation about Nick Meyer. We're not going there. All right, we're moving on. Let him create. Let him create. <laughs> Let him create. I got gotcha. you. Uh, it's ridiculous. 
Jen, what's your ridiculous number one? Okay. All right. My number one pick, most ridiculous. My five words. Enterprise needs their special boy. Hashtag somehow even more into trip than I am. (laughs) And this is the fact that it's a central tenet of enterprise. That trip is so freaking great that he's indispensable and only he alone can run the warp five engine. <laughs> Earth needs enterprise. Enterprise needs trip. I am highly oh, embarrassed for you about how obsessed with trip you are. <laughs> oh my god, I love this. And I'm gonna. I have a retort when we get to the end. So, so go ahead. They literally grow a clone to harvest its organs to keep trip alive because yep. apparently nobody else can run the enterprise. Trip. And that's not I even trip. the most ridiculous thing that they've done. <laughs> that's not even my pick. <laughs> my pick is season four episode 16 yeah. divergence yep, yep. <laughs> yep, yep, I, knew, yep. I knew that was coming right we just got an affliction and divergence mentioned back to back this is great but okay so let me say that this is one of the coolest sequences so cool it, why are you picking this because it's ridiculous <laughs> they're doing it at all like like why can't trip just stand the columbia and tell them what to do like why do they need their special boy so badly <laughs> that they're that they go through this whole crazy thing of joining warp bubbles and he goes on a tether between the ships and and it's very exciting and interesting to watch but it's just i can't not roll my eyes on why they're doing it you know <laughs> my the eye roll my eye rolls so far back in my in into my head because only trip can get rid of the klingon subroutines and mm-hmm. engineering um but even that okay and, and admittedly it's a really cool sequence once he gets to engineering because it's like oh thank god our savior is here <laughs> you know? so good it's so good he's climbing all over the engine ah, and he's so know, good pushing buttons and he's you know <laughs> turning dials and you know doing whatever he's doing and it's very cool but it's also very dumb because why can't anyone else do this? they're literally just the idea is they're just shutting down the reactor in real in real initializing it purging the subroutines and then they'll be fine but literally that's not a very complicated thing to do apparently like if you have a any competent engineer, which I'm sure Trip has, because not one person can run this entire engine. <laughs> I, I, I love that there's a Star Trek reason for why why they needed to do this. That I'm gonna spring in a minute, but keep going. Okay, okay. Well, and and it's it's pretty cool. It's like it's it's a whole speed situation. They can't go below warp five, and right. like, this so cool good. thing. It's like oh, the we whole have to, thing is amazing. It's so cool, and it's like oh, we have to be inside of Columbia's warp bubble, and you can only do that for so long, and blah blah blah. And, but it's just throughout the, there's just a, a thread that runs throughout the entire series <laughs> that Trip is the only one. Their second choice is Kelby. <laughs> Thank you. And there you just answered your own question. You want Kelby doing this? Kelby? <laughs> Kelby? By the way, Kelby That's is the on best my second. He's on my secondary system as ridiculous. He's Kelby so the ridiculous. character. Kelby the actor. Sorry, Derek Magar. You're terrible. <laughs> You're a bad actor. And Kelby is the worst character, worst portrayal. The worst. So you're, you're, you've answered your own ridiculousness. But, but There's they, no way but you can rely on Kelby. Kelby couldn't do it. You're stuck. <laughs> they're stuck with Kelby. The ridiculous part Why? is that Kelby's their chief engineer. Why? How the hell can Kelby be your chief engineer? He's a loser. Archard Engineering. How do they go from Trip to Kelby? Yeah. <laughs> 
Commander Kelby, respond. Kelby here, sir. We could use a little more speed. The injectors are running at 105%. Commander Tucker's pushed them higher than that before. I'll see what I can do, Captain. Oh, it's oh, just, it, it's just, I I roll, just, I just roll my eyes though. Like I, you know me, I, more than anyone else, Listen, I love myself some Trip Tucker. I hate to break it to you, but Jim, ridiculous. but if they had relied on Kelby to power down and try to get rid of that Klingon <laughs> subroutine, they both ships would have blown up. Alex, but that's what do you the, got? That's the idea is like, seriously, you can't, you don't just have one competent engineer in a well, Kel- well, Kelby like should be your pick. Kelby's the worst. Okay, then Kelby. <laughs> oh my god! Oh Kelby's my goodness! Kelby, uh, the worst. Alex, Carlos, chime in. I don't necessarily know that I'm I'm comfortable interjecting myself into Trip Tucker discourse with the <laughs> Queen of Trip Tucker sprinkles over here. So I think I'm just gonna I'm gonna take a pass on this one. Oh my god! Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Jim Kirk with. Trip Tucker, Tucker Sprinkles. sprinkles. Good. As featured <laughs> recently on Weekly Trek. And Alex is like, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, Carlos, quote. <laughs> Carlos, any, I know it is. Uh, <laughs> Carlos, any final thoughts on how bad Kelby is? I mean, Kelby sucks. We all Kelby know. Kelby sucks. Kelby sucks. <laughs> everything, everything, Kelby sucks, okay? Uh, I can't wait for like a Lower Decks joke about Kelby. Oh my goodness, that'd be oh, so funny. That's good. That should happen. That should that happen, should yeah. Happen. <laughs> He's so bad. But listen, it, they, it's ridiculous, but they did it because it was cool. That's, that's yeah, all you need it's, to it's know. So that's good. All it's it. so good. And it's so cool. Like, so I, I, I admit it. It's so cool. <laughs> all right, Alex, I'm dying there. Alex, what's your number one ridiculous choice? Five words. Don't start if you can't finish. Hashtag... He is a bad dad. <laughs> I am also picking Star Trek Deep Space Nine Season 6, Episode 3, Sons and Daughters. <laughs> but I'm coming at it from a slightly different angle. I think it's a ridiculous choice to make Worf such a terrible father because Ooh. it was mostly not intentional. Ah, like, like interesting. Like it is largely a product of them deciding ultimately not to commit to the wolf alexander relationship and kind of shuffle the character off the show because after a few less than stellar episodes in season five of the next generation they're just like ah the alexander thing isn't working we kind of need to get rid of him and that's where the wolf is a bad dad thing comes from right like it was not a carefully developed choice for the character on behalf of the writers it was just like uh we need to get rid of this terrible character who's not working for us let's just shuffle him off oh and by the way that makes wolf a terrible father and only deep space nine decides that they want to kind of dip their toe back in that pool with sons and daughters and try and make it make sense but I kind of think it does a huge disservice to the Wolf character in the process because it doesn't really teach us anything and he doesn't really learn anything. And sure, it ends in an okay place, right? Like by the time you get to you are cordially invited, it's clear that he has a decent relationship with his son now. But but you kind of don't put in the work to get there. You just get the few scenes in Sons and Daughters and then that's it. And the whole Wolf Alexander relate. I mean, frankly, they never should have done it in the first place, right? Don't start if you can't finish, right? If they weren't ultimately going to commit to seeing it all the way through, it never should have started. But the way they handled it was really bad. And I think it reflects really badly on the character of Wolf in the process. But it's not an intentional character choice. It's a 
act of convenience by the writers that ultimately has a huge impact on an otherwise very good character. And so I think it's a ridiculous choice. People, this is why we do Terran Trek Ranks. What a pick. I love this pick because it's, you're right. This is kind of like an epiphany for me. It's not that Worf's a bad dad. It's that the writers didn't write the thread for him to be a bad dad. He became a bad dad because they weren't committed to what they're going to do with the Alexander character. Right. So the one thing I'll say, though, because I do think sons and daughters, I, I, I'm not saying it makes up for everything on this kind of weird thread, but I like the moment when he says, I'm going to teach you what you, know, what you need to be a warrior and you'll teach me what I need to know what I need to be a good father or something. I like that moment. I thought that was really good because he's kind of acknowledging that he could do better and, and they're coming to a little middle ground. Wow. Great pick, Alex. Jen, Carlos, what's your take? Yeah. I like that framing of it um, because he really was just an accessory, you know, he's just, Oh, let's, let's put a Klingon makeup on the, on a cute little kid. And that'll yep. be a cute little accessory without actually thinking about what that character means and, <laughs> and what that means for Worf. And, and they just gave up and, and that's a really good take on it. And the cousin Oliver of Star Trek, right? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. I hear, I hear Alex, and I think that that is, I think you're, I think you're right, Alex. And there is plenty of like, you know, of interviews and documentation talking about the character of Alexander from the writer's perspective on TNG. It's, it's a shame that he didn't come back on Deep Space Nine, or like they, they didn't. Deep Space Nine was so good at juggling multiple storylines, you know, running in parallel. And I think that it would have been great to bring him back maybe after the death of Jadzia season seven um, and kind of revisit that, but they never did. And so, yeah, I listen, I think it's, I think it's an important choice, but the fact is that that's what happened with the character and that's what we, you know, what we have. And if you take the behind the scenes drama out of it, you know, Warva does some pretty shitty things as a dad. So yeah, yeah, I get it. And I hear it. And it is ridiculous because he is otherwise uh, a phenomenal character. Yep, we're on the same page there, Carlos. One of he's he's one of my favorite characters, even though there's some challenges there. Okay, <laughs> let's go to my number one ridiculous choice to close it out. Five words and a hashtag. Bigger than a minor mystery hashtag that the crew of the Enterprise apparently can't tell time. It is TNG season four. It is the episode Clues. Oh yes, no, which again, yes, this yes. is a this is a great episode. It, it's super fun, great mystery, some fun, just everything. It's just great. There's a it's a great ensemble. Everybody's got something to do in this uh, mystery that they're trying to kind of. Everyone, everyone plays a big part. Everyone, I like the episode, but the entire episode is predicated on this ridiculous time premise. That makes no sense at all, and I'll tell you why in a second. But first, let's go through the timeline. So the crew is knocked out, and Data tells everyone they've been out for 30 30 minutes. Then he resets all the clocks on the ship, so the crew doesn't know that they were actually out for a full day. So from there, we're going to be generous, and we're the crew figures out the deception. And it seems like it took a couple of days. We're going to say it just took one day for the crew to figure out that Data was lying. So once they confront Data about his lying, and the aliens show up again and threaten to kill everybody... They decide they're going to do it all over again. So now the crew has been zonked out again, and their memory is erased by the aliens again. And Data not only has to erase one day, he now has to erase like three days of evidence at a minimum that the crew's been up and about during those 30 minutes that they were knocked out. 
and he has to reset the clocks again back to the original time that they hit this faux wormhole. This so here's the ridiculous part of this. So assuming data can successfully erase all the evidence of three days having passed, he couldn't do 24 hours, but he figures it out. He can do three days and he successfully tricks the crew into thinking they were only out for, you know, 30 minutes or 30, maybe it was 30 seconds. I think I had that wrong. Anyways, the ridiculous part is that at some point the ship, is going to meet up with another ship or a star base. And they're going to say, hey, it's star date 44504.9. It's a Thursday. And the people in the star base are going to say, what the f*** are you talking about? It's 44512. It's Monday. You guys have lost like four days. But at some point, that's going to happen. And then they're going to clearly have to go back and investigate this thing all over again. It's ridiculous. And it makes no sense. Sorry, Joe Minoski, you're a legend. But it makes no sense, and it's always kind of bugged me. Alex, what's your take? Yeah, this one has always bugged me to hell. I mean, even if you sort of think about how, you know, you're in space and time's kind of mutable, and, you know, the time on one planet's not necessarily the time on the other planet. Like, isn't that what star dates are for? And, and, and even if, like, you can lose three days and nobody notice, nobody notices, how does society even function like no. that, right? Like, <laughs> how can you communicate planet to planet? How can people meet deadlines if it's just the case that it's an accepted thing that, like, three days will disappear, you'll believe 30 seconds will have passed, and nobody at any point is going to be like, to your point exactly, right, hold on, you think it's Thursday? Actually, it's <laughs> Sunday today, right? Like, right. it just, it bothers me every time. And again, it's a great episode, I really like it, but that, but that really bothers me every time because there's just... There's there's no way to for me to mentally like square that circle, and I, I feel like the episode didn't have to be written that way, right? Like it's 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 not like that was the only solution, and they were just like ah fuck it, let's go with it, right? Like it really is, like it was a choice and it was a ridiculous one. I mean, at some point, that's what star dates are: is to sync everybody together, right. At yeah. some level, yeah. It's kind of hard <laughs> to believe that you would ever be able to trick. The Enterprise crew in that way, you know, no matter how many times you tried <laughs> um, for that, you know, okay. So I think about, you know, cause, cause and effect and how they managed to kind of figure out what's going on. They'll figure this one out again. <laughs> and I always felt that at the end, they'll, they'll figure it out again eventually. Who knows? It's fine. They're going to figure it out as soon as they run into <laughs> Captain Morgan Bateson. He's like, "Hey, I've been exactly. back here. It's don't mess with me again. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm on the I'm the right time this time." Yeah, your your chronometer is off or whatever. Carlos, what do you think about this this ridiculously stupid pick that I just made? It is ridiculously stupid. It's a ridiculously stupid pick. But also, this is one of those episodes that's just so much fun. I know like, it's, it it's awesome. Ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing because for all the reasons that I've already been said, but the episode is awesome. <laughs> it is. It is. Like, it's, a, it's great. If you're flipping through the channels and that episode is on, you stop. You just like, I'm watching this. Right. Because right. it's 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 a lot of fun. But it is it is kind of ridiculous. Maybe the aliens were like, uh, we don't understand star dates, so let's just change all of this up. <laughs> It's Gloria from Cleveland. <laughs> yeah, this is why Trek Terran Trek Rank sucks. That pick was awful. Okay, let's do some secondary <laughs> systems picks. We've lost primary navigation, switching to secondary systems. Oh, uh, let's rattle them off quick because we're going long here. Carlos, what do you got? I have one, and I didn't say it. It, ma it made my list, and it was flashback. 
just because I think everything about flashback is ridiculous. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was on my list too, as I said before. Jen, how about you? What do you got? I always thought it was ridiculous that Julian made a clone to solve a mystery and then just <laughs> yes. let him go off and live his life. And, okay, we created you and now you're a person. Bye. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Goodbye and good luck. Yeah. <laughs> In a man alone. And then the other one that bugs me is the survivors because the ending is basically, oh, he's sorry. So we're going to let yeah. him go. And because like, we don't knock everywhere. Yeah, but Picard's like, well, we don't have a word for for to fit your crime. And how about genocide? I think what he was really saying is we don't have a way to to punish you, hold you, yeah, hold you, yeah, responsible to hold you for accountable. It. But just you know, they're just like, oh, okay, well, thanks for the story, bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I love it. Ridiculous, Alex. What do you got? Uh, Discovery's roller coaster turbo lift. Um, Spock seeing Vulcan <laughs> destroyed from the surface of Delta Vega from the other side of the galaxy, yeah. reusing oh, the yeah. undiscovered country, bird of prey, blow up effect in Star Trek Generations, <laughs> making Captain It works so well, man. though. Sorry. What was your, what was it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool blow up sequence. It's such a great explosion. It works so yeah. well. Sorry. What was your Janeway one? Uh, making Janeway a bad cook with the replicator, which has to be one of the dumbest things I've uh, ever heard. That's yes. And then lastly, my special bugbear, which you guys won't, none of you are going to agree with me on this but i couldn't this was almost on my list calling the motion picture version of the enterprise a refit when it's clearly an entirely different ship <laughs> yes i <laughs> love when you say that it's so true um i love that i'm with jen on the roller coaster turbo list jen has it's so cool won me over that that uh, <laughs> totally works okay i've just got a few i had flashback as my Tough cut. I had, I had Kelby, the actor. I was going to call him out. Kelby, man. Oh God, it's the worst. <laughs> okay, here's one. Such sweet sorrow. They are the Enterprise is running from, from Control and Leland, and they can't. It's all predicated on this timing of Leland catching up, and they have to do all this stuff, and and they're on the run. And then Sarah and Amanda show up on the ship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like they're just like, no, we, we we came we came from this angle, so it was really easy to to catch up with you guys. Yeah, that's that would always bug me. Although they needed them to be there, I get it, but ridiculous. The Enterprise launch without Star Trek in the title is ridiculous. Yes, and thank you. Yeah, I'm not even going to bring up the cheesy pop song, which that I, which I now love. But oh, I love it. It was I ridiculous. Love the cheesy pop song, but it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but, but I love it. We all love it now, so it stands the test of time. And then my addendum to clues is unforgettable. Just write it down, which of course Chakotay <laughs> does at the end of the episode, but it's like. It's not that hard. This is ridiculous. Just write it down. This doesn't make any sense. Jim, you're gonna enjoy the the latest episode of Snap Track coming oh, out soon. Because it's it's so it's clues versus unforgettable. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I, I remember hearing that. I, that's right. I remember that might come it'll, out. It'll before, come out yeah, it might before, come out before this, this comes out. <laughs> and lastly, my special shout out is to Gates McFadden's beautiful hair. And the ridiculous choice. You have one of the most beautiful women on the planet with beautiful full red hair. Oh, yeah. And for right. some reason, they put her in a full red head wig for like four seasons. It's insane. It makes 
absolutely no sense that she didn't have her her actual hair on display for seven seasons. It Completely makes, ridiculous. Looks so good in that Oh yeah, she, you're right, Carlos. She and does. by the way, her in her wig and clues is the worst. Go look at it. It is like <laughs> it's like shocking. Okay, an excellent dispatch of disinformation. Just the kind of thing you expect to hear on Terran Trek ranks. But now it's time to recap our proclamations for everyone. Regeneration cycle incomplete. Okay, quick recap. Here we go. Carlos, what do you got? My top five was the number five pick was the very last minute of Endgame. Ridiculous. Uh, Number four was kind of neutering Q later on in Star Trek. Ridiculous. And Alex, you're wrong about season two of the card. Number three is letting Ron Moore go from the Voyager's writer's room. I get the behind the scenes drama. I get what everybody said. But from the Star Trek perspective, ridiculous. Uh, number two is Rios's death as a one-line throwaway. Ridiculous. <laughs> and last but not least, Ira Burr is right there, people. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Fantastic ridiculousness. Jen, what do you got? All right. Number five is the underutilization of Travis Mayweather. Four is the character assassination of William T. Riker in a matter of perspective. Number three is where silence has least, just Nikki being dumb as hell uh, and nothing happening the entire episode. Uh, number two is uh, is you being brought back in Picard just to die for no reason in the middle of a happy reunion episode. <laughs> and number one is indispensable trip, the only one who could save the day and... Kelby sucks. Kelby sucks. All right. <laughs> so I, I, I forgot to summarize Carlos. Here we go. Carlos, you had three Voyager. Your first three picks were all Voyager. What's wrong with you? And then you had Picard and Deep Space Nine. Jen had two TNG, two Enterprise, and one Picard. Alex, rattle off your five. Uh, number five, the ridiculous explanation for the holographic communicators going away from Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 4, and Oval for Charon. Number four was the was the girl on the precipice framing a Star Trek Voyager season three. Stop saying two. precipice. <laughs> no. Number three is the fight between Riker and the Viceroy in Star Trek Nemesis. Oh Number two is the worrying predilection of modern Star Trek to copy its own finales with Star Trek Strange Worlds season one, episode 10, Quality of Mercy. And number one, making Worf such a bad father, not on purpose, but merely as a byproduct of not wanting to deal with Alexander anymore. Star Trek Deep Space Nine season six, episode three, Sons and Daughters. I love it. So you spread. You had four different uh, incarnations: Discovery, Voyager, TNG, Strange New Worlds, and Deep Space Nine. And we're going to fire off one mirror defiant torpedo for us both picking sons and daughters. Okay, my five were the tennis racket in suspicions <laughs> is ridiculous. Number four. Julian being mistaken for an Andorian by Elizabeth Lenz. Is that her name? I, I already yes. almost forgot it. Yep. I mean, that's how forgettable <laughs> she is. Explorers number three, the, the just destroying species 8472 in the flesh from Voyager. Number two, Alexander's ridiculous aging. He's a nine-year-old Klingon warrior in Sons and Daughters. <laughs> And number one, the time lost in clues from TNG. <laughs> All ridiculous. I had two from TNG, 
two from Deep Space Nine and one from Voyager. So the only stats we kept were the series breakdown, which is pretty interesting. So there was one from from the new series. There's one Strange New Worlds, one Discovery, and two Picard. And then from the Legacy series, there's two from Enterprise, and then that core 90s Trek led the way with everything here. So Deep Space Nine had four, and TNG and Voyager each had five. So lots of ridiculousness wow. across those seven seasons of those three series. Fantastic stuff. But as we do every week, we'll now check in on some general feedback from our loyal Terran subjects. Don't take that tone with us, Terran. So we did have a few Terran dissidents dare to issue their feedback to us on some of our previous shows, but we're not going to discuss that today because all those traitors have been sent straight to the agony booth. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to recap here in episode 147, a breakdown of some of the massive statistics totals across 147 episodes of Trek Ranks. (laughs) Ridiculous stats. I love it. Here we go. I'm going to break down some cool stats for you. There have been 2,325 total picks on, on Trek Ranks, and I've cataloged them all. The breakdown is, and this is crazy. So right now, the leader in the clubhouse out of those 2,325 picks, the most picked, you would not be surprised. TNG. It's TNG. Yes, Alex, you got it right. With 513 picks. And right behind them with exactly 500 is Deep Space Nine. So those two are at the top of the uh, top of the table. And then... Interestingly, Voyager's next with 366, right around the same as TOS, which is 352. And then from there, Enterprise has 214, Discovery has 144. Not going to rattle the ball off. I will say there have been seven animated series picks. There have been three <laughs> Prodigy picks, which is pretty good. Hey. Ten episodes. And what I, I what I love here is that the Kelvin timeline, three movies, has been picked 78 times. That's Wow. That's wow. a lot. That's people people love lot. the Kelvin timeline. Yeah, that's uh, who doesn't love the Kelvin timeline? That's really good. Oh, Strange New Worlds has 20 picks too. Oh, that's because we did a Strange New Worlds episode. Yeah, of course. Okay, and then the most popular episodes picked. There are sitting on the edge of forever. There are 22 <laughs> episodes that have been picked more than 10 times. So 22 episodes, which is, uh, wow. that's I don't know if that's a lot or a little bit. That seems like about right, I, I think, for 2,300 total picks. The number one pick of all the episodes is Star Trek 2009 with 25 oh, wow. picks. Wow. And right behind it, again, Kelvin Timeline, Star Trek Beyond, 23. And I think that's just because if you kind of focus on the Kelvin Timeline, you have to choose one of those. Right. Yeah, Maybe. right, 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 right. Or or you're going to choose uh, Into Darkness, which has 14 picks. It's one of the 22 <laughs> that has been picked. So is Carlo, is Carlos pick for Into Darkness from episode 47 a <laughs> yes. minus? Because that no. you should you should minus one for that. <laughs> the Terran Trek rank should count as a negative. Yeah. Yeah. Like like <laughs> okay. So the the all the rest of the of the top six are movies: Voyage Home, First Contact with 21 each, Undiscovered Country oh, that's 20. Really interesting. Wrath of Khan with 19. The number one episode, actual episode, is City on the Edge of Forever with 19, mm-hmm. followed closely by All Good Things with 18. Mm, and then... Sense. I and think I'm the, probably seven of those. <laughs> <laughs> 
Trials and Tribulations has 16. Broken Bow has 15. Encounter at Farpoint has 14. Best of Both mm. Worlds, 13. And then Balance of Terror, Mirror, Mirror with 12. And then at 11 is Emissary, Past Tense, Redemption, and The Devil oh. in the Dark. So, the pilots don't surprise me because when somebody yeah, picks right. the like whole series, you typically will then just give them yeah. the pilot. There's yeah. a little bit of that, mm-hmm. and there's all, and we've done a pilot episode, and we've we've done yeah, we've yeah. done some different focus, so the numbers get skewed a little bit there. But anyway, that is our official account on report right now for our totals through 147 episodes. Pretty cool. Thanks for all that feedback and. Definitely keep your lists coming to me at Trek Ranks. We can retweet them, but we also want to hear from you. So put together your own list of top five ridiculous choices and give <laughs> us a call or send us a list. We'd love to hear from you. Tricorder Transmission, 609-512-5527, or you can just record it and send me a DM. We can link up that way. So hopefully we'll hear from you so you can be featured on the next episode of Trek Ranks and on the next episode of Trek Ranks. We it's a fun one. I uh, can't wait to do this one. It's gonna be really fun. Top five non-corporeal aliens. Ooh. I mean, there are so many choices here. So, and we're not talking about just like you know, omnipotent aliens. It's not just the Metrons or or Q. This could this could be any, this could be the aliens from from uh clues. They were non-corporeal, they just popped yep. into Deanna's head. So uh, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack on that one. I'm looking forward to diving into it. So Carlos, Jen, and Alex, if you could highlight one non-corporeal alien, who are you going to pick? Who's popping into your head as a non-corporeal alien? I just said that. Carlos, what do you got? Can I go wormhole aliens? Sure. Non-corporeal. That's a, that's a great pick. I love that. Done. Alex. Picking the nebula creature from the haunting of deck 12. Oh, that's oh my one. god, I love that one. That's a that, that also came into my mind. Yeah, that's a really I love that episode. That's a great record. one. Captain Janeway, Captain Janeway, <laughs> please report to main engineering. Jen. I'm a big fan of the cloud in Day of the Dove. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah. the little disco ball. Alien. The little disco, yeah, the little weird uh, you know, yep. living on hate. Feeding off of everybody's <laughs> Feeding hate. On the hate. Per- yeah. Perfect, yeah. perfect way to close out Terran and Trek Ranks. Yes. I love it. <laughs> all right. A huge thanks to all of our mirror universe guests tonight, including Carlos, the Reliant, Miranda, Alex, Tiberius, Perry, and Jen Regina and or Tift. Uh, any thoughts anybody wants to relay before we depart here on Terran Trek Ranks? I'm hoping it wasn't too painful. <laughs> no, it was. this was a lot of fun. Thank you guys very much. I look forward to episode 247. 247. <laughs> we'll be back. Yeah, thanks, Jim. This is really fun. It's always nice to uh, switch it up a little bit <laughs> here. So I appreciate it. Or a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll see all you terrible people again in 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. Great job. We need to get going. Looks like there's another Ion Store moving into our location. So before we go, I just want to acknowledge everyone again for engaging with us here on episode 147 of Terran Trek Ranks. As always, I'm going to close by saying, what will it be? past or future, tyranny or freedom. It's up to you.
is our last chance. Take us to the precipice. Concentrate. Take us to the girl. 